Good morning and welcome to your daily game face, Lou. I'm Dr. Kimberly Lannon and this is Lou Blasey. It's been going and at me ever since you walked in the I door here. S- I'm mad at Lou this morning. Why? What did I do? It's what you didn't do what as didn't soon do? as I walked in this morning. Ask you about the snowy owl. Right. I, we had a conversation. I we, saw the pictures. I was we saving it for the show. We did not have a conversation about this. Yes, we did. We exchanged texts. When? On we, text? Yes. <laughs> the one word you sent me? I sent you more than one word. Okay, two. No, there's more than two. two. Okay. Well, anyway, for all the listeners that really care, because I know they do, <laughs> I'm like, Lou, because he has the benefit of living right on the, the prairie. <laughs> yes, and now you've seen, well, half as many snowy owls as I've seen, even though I'm living out there. Well, I had a gut feeling on Sunday, although I gave up two weeks ago, as you know, yep. I said, that's it. They've all flown north. They've all gone back home. And I was like, I have this feeling. I can't miss it. So I got up and I'm like, and I saw someone post one. And I'm like, when did you get that? And they were like, yesterday. And I said, mm-hmm. what time? They said 630. And I'm like, hmm. So I waited till about five o'clock in the afternoon. Oh. Oh, well, I didn't wait. I went up and did other things. It was but an evening owl. It was an evening owl. Oh, so nice. I was I was doing other things, biding my time. And, lo and behold, at 5 o'clock. Where were you? I was right on, so if you, if anyone knows the Parker Reservation. The yeah. Um, so it's on the main road, right on the first part of the marsh, just sitting right off the side of the road, maybe 200 yards, not even 200 yards, about 150 yards out on this little post, and he was sitting there for <laughs> an hour. <laughs> yeah. And, well, the first hour he was with his back to me. The entire time. I'm like, just turn around. Just turn around one time. One time. I, I held out. I held out. They don't move a lot. The, it, the last one I saw on the turnpike, I told you, we yeah. headed out to lunch when we went by it, and it was an owl jam on the yes. turnpike. Yes. And we went to lunch, had a lunch, came back, and it was still there. And yes. the owl jam well, was still there. And he was there. Finally, he started preening and pruning and doing his thing. And, and then you saw a couple of those shots that I took that he like looked at me like, really? <laughs> you know, very nonchalant. Yeah. You know, I think it was for me. There were about 20 other people taking pictures as well. But um, but he was so beautiful. And I was so excited to catch him. And it was so worth the wait to watch him fly off because I got that one yes. amazing flight shot off the... Did you notice it or was there an owl jam? There was not, there was not an owl jam. There was, yeah. um, when I first saw him, there was one car. They had been waiting because they said that that's where they'd been seeing. Oh, okay. And then, like, a couple other trucks pulled up, and then, you know, because it was clearly a white blob out in the middle. So right at the top of the refuge, Like, um, not right as you came in, but just right off the, yep. maybe right past the first parking lot, hmm. you know, on the left. Yep. On the right. It was on the right. So, but I saw lots of other things. I saw an eagle fly over him and a... All kinds of eagles out there, yeah. And an osprey. Oh, yeah. So I had a threefer. Nice. I didn't take any pictures of them, though, because I've got tons of pictures of those. I'm like, just the snowy owl. So very exciting. Did you go down to Sandy Point at all? It was. I, we did drive down to Sandy Point. Yeah. You can't get down into it if you, well, legally <clears throat> right now because. Did you see the wall? There. I mean, we can't build a wall on the border, but we have a wall on Plum Island. I saw that. <laughs> I saw like that. The, the piping plover thing drives me crazy. The plovers. Yeah. The plovers are beautiful, but people are getting pictures. People are clearly crossing the boundary. We did not, but clearly going okay, over. Okay, so there are nine miles of beach on Plum Island. Mm-hmm. They're all closed down for, I mean, not the beach, but not the, beach. the dune access right. is closed down for the entire nine miles for the plovers until August. I know. It's like in parking lots are shut down. It's, I know. Hey, yeah. listen, they're protected. I guess, but yeah. I know. Well, they're beautiful. So I, I'm aware of how long that beach is because in looking for the snowy owl over eight weeks, <laughs> I have walked <laughs> probably 125 miles on that beach. Wow, Looking nice. for that darn owl. <laughs> so it's a beautiful beach. You could do in. worse. You what? It's a beautiful beach. You it could is. do worse. I've done it in snow, rain, wind. <laughs> well, <laughs> I really wanted this picture. So I'm very excited. So this is what, this is... Although it's like, what is she talking about? Why does she always talk about this stupid stuff? It's really not stupid. It's about perseverance. You have, I'm motivated to do certain things. I'm very excited about them. And I want what I want. So I go and get it because I want it. So it's about intent too, right? Well, yes. Yeah. I, you know, and I just had that last little oomph, you know, I I don't give up. On those lines, I have decided this year that I'm going to see my first moose, first live moose. You keep saying this to me and you're jinxing me. 
Why? So this is, well, this is my next thing. So You've never I seen have, a moose either? Well, so I haven't seen a moose since I was little. Okay. And Because I lived in Vermont on a mountain, on a ski mountain. Yeah. Chemo, actually. You have no so, m- mooses and, m- out there? So there's mooses, yes. Um, mm-hmm. So there's moose. But so I, as you know, I frequent the, you know, the northern quarter a lot to go skiing and yep. snowing and hiking, hiking in the summer and, yeah. and all those things. I think I've told you guys this, but so uh, we have been looking for a moose for years and we've gone, we got so bad at this that we even went (laughs) on the official tour to see a moose that was 99% surefire every night you get to see a moose, except for the night we went. Really? Because we're actually contemplating that. That was part of the thing. And it was like Let's go up guy, to North Conway and take a moose tour. Uh, so we didn't go to North Conway. We went, yeah. we went up to um, to Lincoln, mm-hmm. and you know they have they rant and rave about how they're amazing sightings, and everyone's like, and, 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 oh, in Lincoln, huh? Yeah. Yep. And uh, yeah, we saw nothing. And the guy was like, "I'm so sorry, this never happens." I'm like, "Of course, because I'm on the bus." To get your money back. So, so we we know where they are. Mm-hmm. We I have seen many a track. I have tracked them in the woods. I've stalked <laughs> them in the woods yep. like a yeti, but <laughs> but I have yet to catch my moose. But this so right along with you, I will race you for my moose this year. Uh, we're gonna try North Conway because there's a good barbecue train up there. So oh, if we well, don't see a moose then. There we go. Well, when I the last time I fully with umph went looking for a moose was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. We were up in Jackson. New Hampshire, and we were looking for a moose. This is kind of funny because we have the best pictures in the world from this. So we're driving along, and we had been doing this probably for the better part of seven or eight hours, and hiking in and hiking out and walking and doing like all these things and driving. Yep. And we were on our way back to our our inn in this long, beautiful road and with big pastures and all these blueberry fields and everything. And I was looking down, so I have picture this. I have my camera, my phone, and my computer. All opened up in my lap in the passenger seat, and I'm, you know, yeah, no moose freaking day, you know. Yep. And all of a sudden, John's like, Kim, put your stuff down, right? And I'm like, oh, for God's sake, right? And he was annoying me as yep. usual. And, <laughs> Just and to help. I look up, yeah, and there's a big mama bear, yep, and her babies. Oh. And so we, and we had heard about. Um, the mama with her four cubs. And so we're like, oh my God. This specific bear? You'd heard about this specific bear? Yep, this very specific, and it was this on the stretch, and we'd heard about her, and she's, you know, she's often there. She visits and frequents an inn that I won't tell because it's my favorite inn, and I won't tell you what it is because then everyone will go there. What's the bear's name? Um, um, Want me to name her? Pretty, pretty baby. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm guessing I if you heard about her, then they've been that given the a inn, name. I do know that the inns around have named her. I'm okay. not sure. I can't uh, okay. remember now. But so she's so very cool because she's so she, we stop and then a couple other cars had stopped and the guy that lived there with his blueberry fields and everything he's like, oh yeah, they come here all the time. So she's walking across right in front of us and I'm getting all these amazing pictures and she's going into the field and the little cubs are da, 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 going along yep. and and I count one, two. Three. And I say to John, now I'm standing on my running board in my car, looking over, taking pictures from afar. And I say to John, where's the fourth bear? There's no, what happened to the baby? (laughs) And I'm not kidding. I turn around. The baby is maybe five feet from my feet. Oh, God. Behind me. Not good. Between me, mama, and the car, like me, the car, the mama. And I'm like, oh, my God, get in the car. Get in the car. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm thinking, she's going to turn around, that's it, we're dead. But, nope, the cub just went right around. She didn't even even know he wasn't there. Yeah. And he, like, scampered across, and we have the best pictures of these. So, the Jackson Five. See, we call them. We call them the Jackson Five. So that was the that was. So Tito was behind you. So whenever, so whenever, (laughs) right? So whenever we have, um, whenever we go up there, we're always like, oh, I wonder if the Jackson Five are still around. They're super cute. That was a while ago. But see the video that was viral lately about the mama bear and the cubs. I did. Oh, those cubs would not stay across the road. (laughs) That's like my experience, except for the one, you know. Yeah. And they were like that cute. So that was a great video. Could, you could hear that video in your head. You could hear the mama bear talking to the kids. Like, will you get across the street now? <laughs> God. Yeah. Right. So, but anyway, so what does this have to do with health and wellness? Well, these are things, like, these are pursuits that you have to have. This is a, called purpose. Yeah. Sometimes, people think purpose has to be this big, glorious, like, end-all, be-all thing sometimes. And sometimes just having the excitement of, of looking forward to some, I mean, how many people are going to go out and look for a moose? Yeah. Me. 
Yeah. Or a bear. Plus, Me. it's self care. It's it's, or, it's it's prioritizing yourself. It's it's right. doing something for yourself. Well, it is, and it's so important. And people are like, oh, "That's so stupid." I get that a lot. Oh, that's so no. stupid. What a waste of time. Well, I'd rather waste my time doing that than sitting watching TV all day or gaming. And there's nothing wrong with people that like to game, but hey, you have or your thing. Or yakking about mine. somebody. You what? Or yakking about somebody on a social network. Yeah, or that. That's I know. <laughs> that's your thing. I know. I had one of those this week that was just I just shaking my head. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it wasn't wasn't about me. I wasn't involved, but But you were watching. It's like why are people giving moments of their lives to this particular discussion? Because well, okay, so staying in the theme of this, right? It's because people have nothing else going on. Yeah. So this is why I've been encouraging people go out and look for th do something. Take up photography. You don't have to be a professional, but it's amazing people don't realize take birds for granted or they think it's stupid or yeah. what a waste of time or hike up, you know, right along here. There's a million different little mountains that you can go up and see all kinds of we see porcupines in trees that you never get to see. We see owls, little different things. I mean, it's really great and you know, change your scenery a little bit. You know, it's not going to kill you. Get out well, in for nature. some people it might because... Uh, you know, it's like it's a big thing for me out on the beach. The sunset's a big thing. I try to walk every day and go out and see it if it looks like it's going to be halfway decent. And it's, just, it's just a thing. It's just, you know, a moment. Take some time and, and, you know, for yourself. And, by the way, walks are great not only for activity and health but for mental health too. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think... I so... walk myself out of the mental woods on a number of occasions. You just... You're just getting in that space, and you're just nowhere else. Well, there's so there's such a big difference, you know. So for people that don't like to exercise per se, but you know, if you've been sitting in your house all day, or you know, you have pandemic fever, so to speak, or yeah. whatever, just going outside and getting some air. What it does, air is just going to circulate in your body and get all the the neurotransmitters, which we're going to talk about today. All those neurotransmitters, the chemicals in the body that actually make your mood regulate. And your body regulate just that just breathing fresh air outside of your house changes that or getting a little sun or f just a change in the temperature moves the body and the mind people don't realize that i think people realize it but they don't realize how impactful yeah. that is right and how important that is and you don't have to go run on the beach or run a mile or, or run no. at all you you know you can drive you can drive yourself out to the beach and walk to the beach and sit on the beach and look at the waves that's just a, it's a mental change to change the whole process of how you're perceiving the world around you if you're always sitting around doing the same thing and this is even pre-pandemic yes yeah. this this isn't a new conversation i have with any of my patients right that if you're sitting around and you're doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result that someday or tomorrow i'm going to do or i'll feel better tomorrow or i'll change okay the only person that can do that is you yep. and you have to you know like again not look at the hoarding houses i have to clean the whole thing it's more like I just have to step out the front door. I just have to do one little thing so it doesn't have to be this big, grand plan. That's what people always think. Like, I have yeah. to go on some big safari. No, you just have to just go down the street. Yep. Just, <laughs> just go walk. to the park. Sit in a swing. What happens is your swing. environment becomes wallpaper, and then it eliminates. You, you're mm -hmm. so familiar with it, it doesn't register with you anymore. So the only place your mind can go is all these things that are all these uh, things we talked about last week, the threat generation and things like that. Yes. And it's the only place for your mind to go. You've got to give your mind other stimulus. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So really quickly, because I, I was just catching myself on monitor, and, and <laughs> I was looking at my drink today. Yes. And I just wanted to say that I have, I have a listener that always is curious as to what I'm drinking. Okay. So they pay attention to that. So just I digress for a second. That Bourbon? This is my friend. <laughs> this is from my friend in Florida who I won't say her name because I won't. Why not? <laughs> But today, my friend, I'm drinking a um, coconut coffee with one Splenda and Splash of Skim Milk. Hot today. Coconut coffee? Oh, no, yes. I want one. Non-sweetened. You know me. Yeah. I don't do the sugar. So, But that's for my friend in Florida who um, likes hot chocolate. And I was inspired this morning because I was going to have a hot chocolate, but I didn't want the sugar. So I did this instead. So... Anyway, so that was for her. Um, it's the only reason because I caught myself across the monitor. Thanks <laughs> for the vain moment, all. Um, anyway, so tra neurotransmitters and ADD, that's what we are going towards today. Here mm -hmm. we are. We're 15 minutes in, top of the hour, my we, friend. We got there. And we got there 15 minutes later, mm -hmm. but that's okay. Love the banter. You're in a bad mood today. I'm not in a bad mood today. You... The, the banter is the ba banter is the part that connects you with your audience. The, the banter is the part that makes it relevant. The banter is the part that draws people in. It draws me. Yeah. Mm. Then, yes, it does. And 
I love our banter. <laughs> and I'm mad at you this morning because you just weren't as excited about my snowy owl as I was. I, looked... I expected balloons, fireworks, <laughs> and I got nothing. I got nothing. Well, congratulations on your snowy owl. Whatever. It's so insincere. <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway, okay. So remember last week we were talking about neuro- we were talking about neurology and anxiety and yep. all those things, right? But we ended the show talking about ADD or attention deficit disorder. Or yeah, yeah, that's attention right. Attention deficit. Yep. ADHD. It depends on who you talk to, who wants to say what it is, and <laughs> yep, right. And I know that Lou is going to have a controversial commentary today on this topic because at the end of the show, he and I had a conversation. Don't start. Yeah, don't. don't, no, don't I'm, just, I'm just an amateur. I don't have, and I don't have so, commentary. No, but, it, but it's actually, it's a good topic for yeah. you to bring up because it's. I have lots of um, questions, answers. People will have similar things. But um, let me just talk about it a little bit because um, a couple points. So attention deficit Right, we'll just call it that for now instead mm-hmm. of it being attention deficit disorder. Right, so attention deficit is a real thing in the fact that you know, for people that say, "Oh, is it a real thing?" So there's there's parts of the brain that we know in a variety of different clinical um, environments in terms of like something going wrong or something not working right or or overworking or underworking, whatever. So there's specific neurotransmitters, and for people that don't know what a neurotransmitter is to basically say like okay your mood's regulated by the neurotransmitter it's a chemical that talks to other transmitters like itself like serotonin serotonin is your basic basic it's your basic <laughs> mood regulator it's the yeah. one it's your happy it's your happy one right so so you we have a whole bunch that we've identified in science and that we know like just we know work in certain ways so like serotonin's for mood regulation GABA is for for um, anxiety, mm-hmm. um, and acetylcholine is for movement regulation of the body, voluntary and involuntary movements. Um, and then we have dopamine, your pleasure center, neurotransmitter, and makes you happy. Um, you know, you've got your natural morphine, your nicotinic neurotransmitter for your it's your own nicotine that you produce yep. that you don't have to smoke and you already <laughs> have it in your brain. And then we have norepinephrine. And norepinephrine happens to be the neurotransmitter that's related to attention deficits because low levels of norepinephrine, which are related to your stress hormones, Mm -hmm. norepinephrine has to do with stress hormones, um, blood pressure, and um, nutrition. Right. Um, So those are the main three that go with it. So anyone who can have an overabundance or underabundance of this. But when we have attention deficits or selective attention issues in the prefrontal or the frontal cortex of the brain, this little part right here, um, it's like, it's it's a misfiring that happens in the miswiring of norepinephrine many times. Now that's not just I'm simplifying this because, but norepinephrine happens to be the identified um, transmitter that has the issue, and when you have chronic stress, for instance, if we know like just take natural occurring attention deficits, right? If you have chronic stress, anxiety, right, or you're worried all the time or things like that, and you have Poor nutrition, like a lot of sugar content, a lot of processed foods. I know I preach to the choir on this, but it's yep. true. Um, and you have those, and usually they go hand in hand, right? Mm. Yep. And then you take certain medications, and now this is going to be like mind blowing for a lot of people, like Ritalin. Now, yeah. <laughs> right? No, so methylphenidate, like Concerta and and, and Ritalin, um, which are methylphenidate. Um, so those types of things can actually lower. Um, even though it's norepinephrine's excitatory and makes everything work better, the lower levels of norepinephrine in the body make you more attention deficited. So when you have poor nutrition, you have a lot of stress, and you take certain medications, although those medications counter will stimulate, they're also decreasing the body's ability to make the norepinephrine that's already at a low point because genetically um, people with attention deficit as a... As a um, official diagnosis right they they typically will have lower levels of norepinephrine and therefore you add in um you know stress and not great nutrition or high sugary foods in a kid for instance huh, right? yeah people are like oh sugar doesn't do anything well it's not quite as pure as just sugar but it's like this combination and then you put like a kid on ritalin methylphenidate or cons- which is also concerta in different form or you start adding in like adderall or um 
Vyvanse or things like that, <clears throat> you're tapping into the norepinephrine issue. So I sort of gave that the global, global thought process there, but the neurotransmitter itself w has to do with blood pressure, depression issues, and attention issues. So we know like when does, you're... Does the medication ca cause <clears throat> atrophy in the body producing it? It, well, so over time it can, yeah. which is why it's super important. So that's why, I'm, okay, so it's super important that they, the people who are on those medications, I always recommend if they're on them, they should take a hiatus from them, like holidays, like like kids should yep. take like summer off. Um, but it's hard for people because parents have a hard time. You know, the 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 research around these these um, stimulant drugs for ADD for like kids show that it's not that it's it's not actually producing. A greater effect necessarily on their academic performance, even though they academically tend to perform better. It's more at it, it little stages in like their younger yeah. lives. It's producing a management effect in the classroom of behavior yeah. because it's right because it contains right. So, um, and so the research is a little bit bouncy all over the place because it depends on you know big pharma. Of, oftentimes will be chiming in on a lot of that. So sure. um, you have to really go to someone who hasn't got the investment and skin in the game around that, right? <clears throat> which is what I try to find those that don't have the bias. Um, so that's where I'm coming from in terms of like, here's what the basic stuff says and, and also what I know in my own practice that here's what I see. So because norepinephrine is an excitatory neurotransmitter, right? It keeps things regulated around those particular issues. I said like mood, depression, b blood pressure, and, mm -hmm. and attentional issues. That w in people who have those things, it tends to be lower and depleted. And so when you add in a stimulant, it will bring it up, but it's, it's not helping the... It's not like it's building up the norepinephrine ability to be right. able to do that. And that's what... We know that behavioral modification can help with that. We know that exercise, here's that word again, yeah. natural medication. The exercise actually can rejuvenate and neuroplastically reproduce lots of um, neurotransmitters in the body, serotonin, norepinephrine, dopamine, morphine, right? all those different pieces to make the body work better. But it's a matter of like, can, can people, you know, when you have a six-year-old or a 10-year-old bouncing off the walls and the teachers can't manage and then, you know, yeah, but I'm always of the mind of we don't medicate, we behaviorally mm. modify yeah. because because of your question is that, you know, depending on whose research you look at, but my belief, knowing the medical side of it, is that when you put those types of medications in young minds, young bodies that are still developing, it absolutely can't not have right. a longer term effect on development over time. So I'm very careful and mindful of how much, making sure people take hiatuses off of it, making sure they have plans in place. Um, for, um, you know, if they are off of it and if they spin up, that they can take it every other day, things like that. Just making plans so that the body is getting a time to be on its own. So there's my opener to norepinephrine and ADD. There we go, Lou. Now a what? Now what? A personal question based on this. Is there a late onset uh, deficit of this neurotransmitter? Well, sh well so that's Will a Will age question. affect it? So, there, so there's... There's two ways to answer that. Yes and maybe. <laughs> so yes, there, you know, anecdotally, I certainly can say that um, I see people with late onset in terms of, you know, in their 20s all of a sudden. And, but is it really late onset? What my brain tells me in terms of my knowledge base and like, is that it went undiagnosed and it just, the oh, person, the person yeah. was able to compensate for it in other ways. But if we really go back and look at a full history of the person, we would see it, but no one caught it. So you and I are of the era that it didn't exist. Right. That wasn't named. We were, you were just a bad kid who got to sit in the corner because you were out of control and crazy and stupid and whatever. If you daydreamer, you know, yeah. do nothing, unmotivated, whatever. That, that was our generation. And, and then, right, you know, when we came up through, it was when Russell Barkley, the very famous um, doctor from here in this area um, really did tons of good research in the late 70s, early 80s on attention deficit and really understanding this process of what's really going on. And then, of course, that's when the big push came in because he was producing a lot of research on it, calling out what it really was, that that's when everybody was, <laughs> attention. De you have attention deficit, yep. you have attention deficit, right. you have attention And so then it was... Because it, it, it turned started. the problem into a pill. Right. And people are very happy about the pill. 
It, right. I was asking you more late onset because oh. personally, my big thing, I've been writing for years, and I find that as I get older, A, it's less enjoyable, B, takes me longer to write the same amount than I used to because it's tougher for, tougher and tougher for me to get in the zone. That, I, well, so just knowing you, <laughs> yeah. as we, just knowing you, I don't think that that's a late onset of attention issues. I think that that's other stuff that yeah. is, I think one's age-related, mm -hmm. right? Um, and then I think that it could, it, I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with epinephrine or norepinephrine. Yeah. I would say that it was probably, you know, like just tiredness at times. Maybe you want to be doing something else. You know, lack of focus can come from many different things yeah. um, or lack of concentration or desire because it's just not as interesting. Maybe you want to be doing something else. Yeah. Um, and that, and that, although that's a feature of the age of ADD, <laughs> yeah, right. That's not the blame. That's yeah. not. That's not really. It's just something I'd specifically noticed over the last five or seven years. It's like the same piece that I've been writing. One piece I've been writing for fifteen years, and every week, and it's like it takes twice as long to do it now as it did in the past because I can't get in and settle and do it. Well, and that's because you've been doing it for that long. Yeah, maybe. When you've been doing something for that long and it doesn't switch it up, right? And you don't have a spark there to like reignite it. It's kind of like couples who've been together forever and they stop having sex, right? So if they stop having sex, is it because they fell out of love or did they lose a spark? So they have to either, they both want it, but they don't do it because it's kind of yeah. become old hat. So you have to put something new and exciting and d different in it. And that's how I just had a whole run in my head about that. And I won't put out loud, but, <laughs> but when it, you know, it's, it's yep. the old pattern. It's like you, you're in the same old pattern, same old pattern, same Got to find pattern. a way to make it new. Right, so it's like, okay, well, what could change it up for you? So that would <clears throat> that would be more related to that, I think. Probably. Because you do not strike me as someone with attentional deficit, except when you're not listening to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's less, I think my problem is less attention to deficit than it is um, a lot of things demanding attention. Right, well. Yeah. But that, I mean. And the calls get, as you get older, the calls get stronger and yes. more. um more intense. Well, but also as as we get older, I'm just laughing because I'm thinking <laughs> about like as we get older. I'm in my head going, "No, it's more that I don't give a <laughs> yeah. about that anymore." Like you know, I I've definitely in the past couple of years been like, I look at something and I'm like, "Yeah, I don't care." Yeah. <laughs> Whereas before I'd be like, "I really care about that." I'm like, "Not so much." So, <laughs> you know, and I I chalk that up to in me like, oh, I've gotten to a point where it's just like, I'm not too old. You know, I'm too old to care. It's more like. That really doesn't matter yeah. to me. You know, I think you might matter in the first place. I think your first point was more accurate because it oh, is thanks. so rote to me. No, no, I I think they're both accurate, but I think it's more to the point that this is so rote to me at this yeah. point that it's tough to get. It's so tough to get like in and dig spark. into it. Yeah, you need to be romanced around your writing again. Yeah, and have something like exciting and lusty to write about. See, if you think about it like that, maybe it will give you a little spark. <laughs> we'll talk after the show about how to put that spark. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> All right. So do I ask the question now? Oh yeah, go ahead. Is ADHD, Here it comes. Is ADHD real? It, it's, it's. I don't know. It's, and I, I'm going to couch the question the same way because it strikes me very similar to uh, uh, peanut allergy. It's like, <coughs> I just almost bit. Well, we're of the we're of the generation where that didn't exist. Well, I don't know you. You're younger, but I, there was no. I am younger. There was no peanut allergy when I was a kid, and now you can't. You can't bring a peanut into school without getting tackled by a SWAT team. Well, see, I think those are two different issues. Let's talk about the peanut allergy for a second. Yeah. Okay. So I think that peanut allergies have always existed, but we didn't know how to diagnose them, and people just suffered and did whatever. I think that the peanut allergy is much like the ADD issue, that when it got caught up and one or two people all of a sudden realized, you know, in this day and age where we have, like, alarmist and fatalist yep. and pessimist and, you know, death, 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 right? Mm -hmm. That it then gets highlighted, like much like ADD did back in the 70s and 80s, and it gets highlighted that now everybody has it. And if everybody has it, or every, at least some people of the everybody have it enough that, well, now we have to do something about it. So then everyone then has to, you know, suffer, or right. everyone then has to be accommodated around. I'm, and I'm not using those words to be pejorative. I'm just saying like, that's what the words are that are used around. Like if, you know, my child has a peanut allergy, 
then the whole school has to shut down. They can't bring peanuts in the school, right? Yep. Um, if my child has ADD and enough kids in the school have ADD, well, now the whole school has to be mainstreamed around ADD. Like, it's got the same kind of thing. Yeah. It's because it caught some popularity, and now it's got some hold, a lot of hold on that one. And, you know, that you, you can't do certain things and whatever. So um, I, think that's, I think that's a big piece of that. Yeah. So, But going to your question of whether or not it's real... Um, so I think that they're real. That's why I opened the show with, you know, here's the science behind the actual right. medical facts of what it is. But now, is it real? What does that mean in your question? Like, what is it really that you're asking? Because, yes, it's real, but that's, is that really what you're asking? Is it is it real or is it like more of a phenomenon of, well, of, the, as, of the proportion? As we talked about it last week right. after the show, it, it comes down to a nature and nurture question because it makes perfect sense that there are d different levels of ability to produce that neurotransmitter. Right. The, some kids would have less of it than others. That's just natural. Right. That would make sense. But again, in the past, before we recognized it, before it became a ph pharmaceutical issue, before it became a social issue, like right. you just described, right. a lot of kids with that deficiency function relatively normally. I mean, we all had these kids in school that had right. their issues, but there was a lot less of them and a lot less emphasis of it. So is it a matter of that being highlighted and victimhood coming into it and um, just more attention paid to it? Is it more nurture? Is it more nature, nurture than nature? So I think, well, Or is I think, it amplified, over-amplified by, by nurture? I th so I would go with that. So yeah. I think that it's, it's absolutely nature. I mean, we yep. know there's a genetic line. And then we know that there's, and then we know what is in the genetic line that then has, you know, you know, some kids will have more than the others. Some, you know, boys have it tend to have it more than girls. Like there's, there's all that. But then, do I think it's an overamplified social issue? Yes, and not social issue out in the world, but social issue within the home. Like you could, like compared compared to the '60s and '70s when we know it existed because it's not like it didn't exist. Yeah. Compared to now, it's. Well, what's different now? There's been lots of great sociological studies and social psych studies on this of like um, uh, structure, kids who lack structure, yes, kids who do not have the parental structure at home. And this is not about two family homes. This is about just parental or or primary caregiver structure, and discipline and and consequence. You know, yes. cause effect. Mm -hmm. Those things have changed a lot. Sense of responsibility. And yeah. those things yeah. definitely. Um, I see a much bigger surge in the ADD for people who can't watch and right now I'm air quoting ADD there's a bigger surge in that right now in the past like five ten years that I've seen in my practice and I think in my colleagues we've been talking about this that we just see it in you know 12 11 12 13 up through and and it's when we look at the person's history because the history of the kid or the history of the adult is so important to that time and again it's the person lacked structure. There was, um, parents were more permissive or indulgent or authoritarian. They weren't authoritative. They're, you know, they didn't have high task, high requirement, right. and high praise. They had high task, very low praise, or or lots and lots and lots of praise and no task, right. um, or um, none and none. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you've got the combination patterns instead of it being like, I require a lot of you, I love you if you don't do well, and here's how we need to do better, and then supporting that along the way and structuring it and paying attention. But there's so many people that have parents, and poor parents get blamed, but there's so many people that have parents that just don't check in, that just have no clue what's going on right from the get-go. And this is starting at, at you know young, like two, three, four, five, six. Yep. It's all set there, right there. So by the time I see a kid at 11 or 12, and the parent goes, they're out of control, I don't know what to do. And I'm in my head going, well... Because when they were four, right, we were running amok, right. There was no, there's no no. Like that's a big one for me is that I often, no, I would say no, nine times out of ten, it's do you ever say no? Well, there's no expectation, right. And people think expectation for a four year old is wrong, but it's not wrong. It's right. part of developing their structure. Right. And in the past, when a kid misbehaved at school or had attention things, you would call them to task. Right. You would ask this of it, expect of this from them, right? and kids rise or fall to expectations, generally right. speaking. Right. Nowadays, you don't. It's right. like, oh, the kid has a disorder. Right. It's well, nobody's fault. 
Well, yeah, and I so to that point, I often get like consults from schools of kids saying, "Can you can you just make the diagnosis so they get medicated?" And my answer is, "I can make the diagnosis, but I'm not going to put in for a recommendation medication." Now that's part two, the because, pharmaceutical aspect because I of this. I, yeah. I will start with behavioral modification first, yep. rather than throw. Um, medications are great for certain things when absolutely needed. Right. You know, someone's struggling with depression and has is really having a hard time and just can't regulate there's no reason to suffer when you're when you know the person's trying all they can you know say you know and you have people that are resistant to it because they want to be holistic that's why they come to see a lot of us new practitioners and you know but i always say if if you need to do that we can do that but don't you know so there's there's one case of that so it's not anti any kind of medication but it's also educating people that medication is only a band-aid and it's not just colloquial to say that yep. it doesn't doesn't do anything about the thought process and the actual underneath side of what's going on. It's just taking the symptoms that you're feeling and masking them. It's yeah. dampening them or it's dulling them or it's, uh, you know, it's doing whatever it's doing to them, but it's not actually doing anything to the problem. So people will often go on medication and come see me and say, I'm taking this for five years and I'm still feeling this way. Right. <laughs> what work have you done on it? Well, none. Right. Right. You know, and, and then at that point, their goal is, I want to be off medication. And I say, well, let's not jump off medication because we know that if you do the work cognitive behaviorally and the psychosocial rehabilitation and exercise and good nutrition, when you're doing that in combination with a good medication regimen, you can get that so good that you can then wean back off the medication and replace it all out most of the time because the medication helps a person get motivated enough to do that. But that's what people miss. They go to the medication, they get it, and then they don't do the other work. So right. then they're on this medication forever, which to your original point 20 minutes ago is it rewrites their history of their their bodies are just uh, a slave to the medication. Yeah. And there's some medications that are very easy to get off of but ADD medications, for instance, are not easy to get off of. Oh, I can imagine. Yeah. Because they're addictive. Yeah. The majority of them all are addiction, in addiction, because they go to the neuroreceptors of norepinephrine, dopamine. They go to all the ones that get you bound and say, whew, I can't get off that. Or you go through a little withdrawal. And people don't realize that. But with normal levels of these neurotransmitters mm -hmm. that produce attention, mm -hmm. in theory, even those by themselves are not enough because a kid who is quote-unquote normal in their production of the neurotransmitter still needs structure, still needs right. skills, still needs discipline, still needs sure. uh, the concept of action and consequence. Right. 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 It, it's still important. It doesn't, it doesn't fix any of that. It just fix a, fixes a medical balance. Well, it's, it's, so it's, it's in any kid. So take the diagnosis of anything off the table. If you have the perfect world that's a balance right so and so if you have if you have um and we and we fluctuate let's just take norepinephrine we fluctuate we're fluctuating right now in norepinephrine because what did you eat this morning right what am i drinking this morning what um what exercise did we do yesterday or today that we're going to do are you know are we higher stress today so we're moving all the time now yeah. add in okay a deficit to the brain, yep. you know, a fracture in the brain, so to speak, or a, a misfire in the brain that's genetic. Now, how are we shaped around that? How are we structured? How are we taught to be, to be able to manage for that? Um, that's, to your point, it plays out on how well the child or the adult then does in life, you know, right? and, and so on and so forth. So I think, <clears throat> I think that Structure and discipline. Discipline doesn't mean punishment. Discipline just means being able to have an expectation and have good structure around it in a perfect world. So, yeah. right? And, and, and parents aren't perfect. And discipline no one comes is the manual. correct prioritization. Right. Right? It's, it's making good choices about priorities of your impulses. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but you have to teach that to kids young. And this is so here, yes, yeah. here, this always comes back to this. This yeah. is good for your other shows that you do. Mm -hmm. Is that correct prioritization to a kid who has the propensity or the vulnerability to have ADD and then has the lack of nurturing around it to be structured and healthy around it, right? To be able to function well, that is one of the highest, both anecdotally, and I see it in research all the time, one of the highest dual diagnostics of addiction. 
right? Because yep. when the the mind is depleted of norepinephrine, right? You've got low blood pressure, you've got depression issues, anxiety, high stress, right? Because it of all the life circumstances that will suppress that. Because yeah. of that structure, that particular lifestyle in that household, time and again, I see that those are the patterns. Yep. And then you see addiction. You see, well, because what is what is a person doing? They're going to a substance or they're going to a thing, but we'll stay with substances on this one because it goes into the body. They're going to a substance to fix the feeling that they're physically getting inside, not realizing that it's actually depleting it more. And so, but it's not feeling like that because when you take it, it makes you feel amazing. Right. But when you feel amazing and it drops off, we have to feel amazing again. So what you're doing is you're training the body to not have to do even what it was doing at the base. Like, you know, say we're at 10 of 100 on a norepinephrine scale, and now we're adding in all these substances like methylphenidate, like Ritalin, Concerta, and all that stuff. Yeah, it makes you feel good. It, it fixes it for those temporary, you know, 7, 8, yep. 10, 12 hours. But now your body's not even doing the 10 anymore. Yeah. It's like, I don't have to do it. So then when you go to say, okay, take it away, the body goes into, I don't feel good. I can't do this. It goes back into depression because now your norepinephrine or your dopamine or whatever is so low. Right. So people that are chronically on the on these medications or people who are chronic, like even like opiate users, people who are opiated over and over and over again for years and years and years, it's the same concept. It's that... You've depleted the system for it to always, when you're trying to be clean and sober, to go, F it. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yep. So, so, but people don't realize it because it feels so good that they don't realize the depletion it's taking on their brain. It feels good for a while. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and then they can't help but have it because the body now isn't producing even the low minimum that they were having in the first place. But in those instances, they're so, from, they're so hopeless that they're prioritizing escape right. over solution. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, so imagine, you know, I, I often talk to people who are trying to be in recovery or in recovery now um, about how to. Um, the turning point is when you prioritize recovery, that's the most important thing. Well, so, okay, so, so that was to my point. Yeah. You almost made me lose my point. Sorry. So it's, it's okay. <laughs> so, so when you prioritize recovery, it's, it sounds really simple. And that was what I was going to say is that. People struggle with the, with what true recovery is. People are like I'm in recovery, but they're using five different other medications and substances and other. And like that's not recovery. That's you may be sober and yeah. clean from the thing that you were using that caused you that problem, but that's not clean and sober. You know, you're, it, it's. I mean, that's not clean and in recovery. That's clean and sober right. of that. Um, you know, if if you're if you're an opiate user and you're still taking like a. a um, two sleep medications and then you're taking anti-anxiety medication that's prescribed in a benzo family that's narcotic and based you're not in recovery yeah and people will debate me on that but it's that in the pure sense you're in recovery or you're in sobriety from the thing that you were using but that doesn't mean you're in recovery from the things that you go to to fix the other things that are going on in you though you know if you have stress and you're taking clonopin and you have um uh, you know, depression and you're taking Wellbutrin, Wellbutrin's not causing you addiction, but the clonopin is. So if you are taking Wellbutrin, I would consider that clean. If you're taking the clonopin to treat the stress that you have because you stopped taking oxycodone, mm -hmm. well, you're still not, you're, you're clean from one thing, but you're not recovering per se. So... Let me ask you another yes. question. Which will go against all the medical assisted treatment stuff around Suboxone, yeah. Methadone, Subutex, well, and all that stuff, because that's all junk. whole separate debate. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, let me ask you a lot of times when pharmaceuticals come into mental health, um, and I don't know if this term is still used in, anymore, but often it was described as a chemical imbalance, quote unquote. Right. Right. And these transmitters that you're talking about, are they measurable and quantifiable? At this Good point. question. Because we don't do, they talk about chemical imbalance in the brain. We have no way to measure any of that. That's all theory. Chemical imbalance is a theory concept, isn't it? Right. Well, so it is. We have some ways of measuring. So yes and no. Yes yeah. and maybe. Yes yeah. and it depends. Um, so we do have, one of the best ways we know that there's a depletion is that we know, like, or we don't necessarily know how much a lot of times of neurotransmitters. But we know we can see it in fMRIs, functional MRIs, or you know certain types of CAT scans. We can see where there's okay. areas of 
you know, they light up differently. You know, they're not, you know, they're bright, bright red or which shows and it shows how much of the area is spread over versus a, a brain that we consider a typical healthy brain in comparison point. Okay. So we so can see brain it in, activity. So brain activity. Yeah. So we can see it in scans, mm -hmm. um, the differences in brains. And you can, oh, you know, it's kind of like when you talk about people with traumatic brain injury, you know, or CTE, you know, yep. CTE, when you look at like football players with concussions, oh my gosh, you can see it color, color to color. You can see the brain activity yeah. change in the, in the areas where they've got hurt. Um, and, and then that, and those are the areas that carry in the brain certain neurotransmitters. And so it speaks to why someone is having a hard time now walking a certain way because their acetylcholine is now deficit, which is their, you know, their movement and, or that they have a hard time finding pleasure in things because now their dopamines, you know, so you can see it. Um, what now, percentage of kids who would be on Ritalin, for example, or some kind of ph pharmaceutical solution, what percentage of those kids would have these scams before being, no. before being prescribed? No. No, nah, that doesn't happen. Yeah, right. Oh no. Mm -mm. Yeah. No, it's a good idea though. Oh. I mean, usually scans happen because something has happened, or because they're in research. A much more quantifiable problem, like a mm -hmm. limp or um, right. dizziness or right. You know, a, no. a, a, well, a dramatic a, mood change, that type of thing. It's an expensive procedure, obviously, yeah. to do. Right. So that would be time-consuming and expense, and it, you know, and so we have to go on our diagnostics of what it looks like which is why I'm also very careful I'm a I'm a cautious diagnostician because um, diagnoses are for billing you know yeah. essentially so you need to have them to be able to bill unless you're private pay right so I'm very careful to label people to or to not label people because a lot of the disorders within the diagnostician's book for us that we use they overlap so I'm very careful with kids, especially, I'm careful with everybody, but I'm careful yeah. with kids because oftentimes there's what we call rule outs, you know, so you can, a lot of times, um, like attention deficit, OCD, anxiety, and PTSD, both kids and adults can look similar. Yeah. So, you know, and so I often wait, like, you know, if I get them early on, I'll say, okay, I keep track of like, okay over time, which one of these is going to fall out in terms of which one's going to drop off, which one's going to stay consistent. And usually, and I've just been doing this so long that usually I can see, you know, after a year or two working with somebody that I can see where it's going because I can see what's dominant. And then I can start taking the rule outs away that although this, per, you know, all this person has trauma, it, it's a trauma response over here, but by and large, there's an underlying reason, and it's like, oh, it's because ADD, or it's because they're predominantly depressed. But I wait to make those big calls. Like, usually there's anxiety, so it's easy to be like, the person's anxious, so that's yeah. easy to diagnose. But it's like, okay, but why? Is it because it's organic in, in nature, or is it because it's being nurtured? Is it both? You know, so I, I sort of wait it out. Whereas a lot of people won't do that. They just be like, oh, you meet all the criteria for this one thing. It seems like that to me, so we're, now we're going to medicate it. And I cringe because... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taken aback. I have problems with the whole medication for these issues at three, four, five, six, seven. I agree. I, I just I unpopular, but I agree. Unpopular, by the way. Yeah, I just because it's it's an easy fix, and parents go for it, and parents and, and well, it's not an easy fix. Well, it's, it, it's an it's easy seen something, an easy but it's fix. not a fix. It's right. an easy pacifier. It's taking a right. pacifier that's in your mouth and sticking another one in your mouth. So if you have a three-year-old girl <sighs> who is all over the place, like three-year-old girls often are. My answer are, is that she's three. Huh? My answer is that she's three. That's yeah. what I always tell parents. Well, she's three. But the four or five-year-old, this development of this neurotransmitter, I'm guessing, which seems to be the basis for all of this, I'm guessing its function is going to fluctuate during early childhood, and it's going to develop later in some kids than others. Correct. And I'm guessing the way you deal with this, because you were talking about nutrition, you were talking about the, the way you deal with it is going to uh, help with that production right. of that neurotransmitter. Correct. Correct. So there are non... Have you ever seen? Uh, I don't want to put you in this position. Well, you can. I I can choose not to answer it, but you can put me in the position. Have you yet. ever seen a four-year-old who should be legitimately medicated? Me personally, no. Yeah. I've seen four-year-olds that have been on medication. Yeah. For this, and I'm, I'm in disagree. I when my kids are growing up, and it, it was never suggested for them, but when my kids are growing up, and you're seeing, you're around other parents, and you're seeing it, 
It's like, what? It, I would have to be desperate. It would have to be mm-hmm. a last resort before I put a kid on a psychotropic. Well, right. And so I think I think one of the best things for, for parents to do is to educate themselves more. And, you know, I, that's a perfect world. People people do not, and, and, and people are pressed for time. They've got two other kids. They've got a dog. They've got mortgage. They've got all these things. So the last thing they're thinking is, like, parenting is hard. And, and, and this is part of the parenting that would have to be done is that there should, I always say, there should be an education program for people before they become parents on the fact that if you do not give proper nutrition and if you do not provide an environment that is low in stress and you do not provide exercise and outlets, you're going to have children that are going to be not at their best potential, right? So yep. you're not setting them up. But that's in a perfect world, and we can't do that. So, well, we could, but but it's, it's well, really a... See, that goes, back to, that goes back to a priority selection. Right. Right. Well, it takes a lot of time and effort. You know, I can't tell you how many times I hear parents when I say to them, you know, you've got to stay the course on this particular yeah. thing. And they'll say, but at some point I just get to give in because I just can't take it anymore because they beat me down. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. they've trained you to give in. And instead of you staying the course when they were four or five and 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 not creating this with them it's a co-creation it's always the kids get blamed it's like no you co-created this with them because sure. you allowed or you gave in or you didn't say no or you didn't set a structure or you felt bad i have the other side too as people just overdo because they feel something else right so it's really about prioritizing that um yeah kids who have you know a lot of stress in their lives and kids who have um chips and ice cream and pizza and mcdonald's and wendy's and not to knock those places right but that's their you know like a lot of their food and you know occasional dinner and at home which is still like potatoes and spaghetti it's all the stuff that's all junky food that goes into your brain and then you have um very limited structure and then you've got a kid who's already got a deficit in terms of genetic predisposition for this You've loaded the deck for them to go right down the line of depression, anxiety, ADD, um, addiction, uh, OCD. You get all kinds of other issues that come out of that. People don't realize that. But the they they chalk it up to well, it's just it's it's my genes. Yeah, and well, that's yeah, nice. But okay, yeah, and you can you can I, take that process, but the selection of the drug does not fix anything, and it sets up a chain of future problems right 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 yeah right well it can so you know this is like you know medicate you know it's not like diabetes you know diabetes if you have a certain you know if you have gestational diabetes you change your diet if you have like diabetes type 2 type 1 right there's medication that you take because we know that it just we know long term what it does right now right i mean psych meds are a little different but I can I can tell you where your blood sugar is. Right. I can tell right. you exactly can, where your and, blood sugar and is, and I can identify that. your problem. Right. With with psych meds, that's with psych meds. It's very different because it's not. You know, I have I have a colleague that's like, I. He kills me when he says this. He's like, I don't really know. That's why I send them to you for diagnosis because I don't really know if they're really ADD or not. I just give them the medication, and if it works the way I think it should, then I keep them on. And if it doesn't, and I just cringe. I'm like, oh, because yeah. he comes of the mind that if he, that people who have, and this is mostly true, if people who have ADD, they'll respond really well to the medication and pretty much fall in line the way we know clinically it should. But people who don't, like people who use it to lose weight or people who use it to stay up all night at college to pull four days in a row. Like, Adderall, you know, right? Yeah. They, they, yeah. It, doesn't, it doesn't work on them quite the same way, and they don't have the addiction properties of it. They don't have any of that stuff. So you can tell the difference right when someone starts using it. And that's, that's his diagnostic technique. And I don't know if people realize that doctors sometimes do that. And see, I was trained to be a diagnostician. Like, I am thorough in figuring out that. And a lot of times, and that's not everybody, but I certainly know of plenty of doctors in my time that they kind of just kind of do that <laughs> they see if it works right because because yeah. psych meds don't have a we don't have anything to measure um you know those things like when someone says oh i'm on prozac but it didn't work so i'm on zoloft i'm like <laughs> yeah. that's the same i mean it's not the same drug 
but it's the same family. And right. if that family didn't work, we know that, you know, you don't exhaust the family out. You have to move to a different family of drugs. You don't go from Zoloft to Prozac. But usually primary care is just for listeners that know this, don't know this. Primary care physicians are typically very bound to, because they're not psych professionals, they're very bound to Prozac, Zoloft, occasionally Lexapro or Celexa as their go-to because that's all they know. And they so, they're, so really if you're looking for good assistance, you really have to go to a, a professional that's got a doctorate level or MD in this. You, you talk about um, good uh, diagnosticians right. for these types of issues among general practitioners and, right. and pediatricians and things mm -hmm. like that. I don't care how good they are. They don't have the ability to diagnose it because right. in the five minutes they get to spend in the kid in the office with the kid, right. they can't do what a, a psychiatric diagnose, diag diagnosis diagnosis would do. Right. Because it requires time and it requires it requires, well, it requires more in depth right. examination. It, it requires time, and it doesn't require tons of time, but it requires time spent, like a couple sessions. That's why I do in my initial couple sessions with people, and it requires, you know, people get sort of like the cover, you know, the CYA of, oh, I filled out that really obvious Beck depression inventory at the beginning of my session with my primary care, and I filled out the twenty questions, and it says that today I'm really depressed. So then they're like, oh, are you depressed? Well, yeah, because, you know, my cat died yesterday. Yeah. It's, it's situational, and it's very, that we do utilize, like, the Beck, the Beck Depression Inventory, and, and that's the thing that I'm outing it because that's I, exactly what it is. It's, I understand, it's, but that's self-diagnosis. It's self-diagnosis, and, and it's, it gives the clinic, your primary care tool to be able to say, oh, what's going on? And then it should be, that's the sign when you usually say, I'm going to refer you to someone, but people don't want to be referred because that's... If they people are pretty savvy with their mental health, they know, and that's why they avoid people like me because yeah. they don't want to deal with it. People come because they want to help, have help. People will avoid, um, and then a primary care will. They'll just say, "Can't you just give me something for medicating it?" And that's what usually happens. Yeah. Um, unless it's a really hard hitter, kind of like really in your face kind of diagnostic issue, um, then they'll send out and refer. But primary cares are very commonly happy to say, "Yes, I'll put you on." this and a little of that because it it just it, it suffices the diagnostic of that moment but in the long run i see time and again people coming and being like you know they're like i've been on this and i gained 25 pounds and i don't feel any different other than now i'm fat yeah i'm like right and then it's making their self-esteem go down so there's the you know it's like there you know certain ssris serotonin selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors they you get on them and they're weight gainers yep. and the doctors and all the pre, you know, the preliminary stuff is like, Oh, you could gain five, five pounds. Not in my history with people. My history is I get 25, 30, 40 pounds. People are already self-esteem driven low and then they add weight on and now they've got a weight issue on the side. Like, and it's like, yeah. this, this is not helping. Yep. You know, so just generated another threat. Right. And, yeah. and it's, I'm very lucky knock on wood that there's not in here, but it, that I have, clients who have a savvy that want that know enough about them to know I need to do something different because this is not helping me all right so what are some of the basics on self-care that can help us enhance our ability to produce these neurotransmitters, neurotransmitters. so so norepinephrine dopamine and serotonin and GABA your big ones right that even if you even if you didn't do exercise take today to eat like cleaner like just stay away from stay stay away from the center of the grocery store. Do the perimeter and eat things that don't spike your sugars, or that make don't you, have an ingredient or list. don't have an ingredient list other yeah. than like what the natural thing is. Or if they do, it's like you know, Whole Foods. It's what? a chicken. Right, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, so you know, try that for a week. Just because just that one change alone. You know, people who have lots of stress or chronically under stress or under worry all the time. You know, take five minutes of your time to just stand outside and take some deep breaths of the air, not get all like ohm or do something like that. You don't have to do that. You know, it's just, it's just taking little steps to make little changes because you're just trying to chemically change your body. Now, ultimately the best medication in the world is exercise. exercise yeah. That's it. Exercise is, and it's not that that's it, that it's fixing everything, but that's going to be your biggest changer in combination. If you eat clean cleaner yep. you stay away from processed foods you stay away from things that are um fillered 
and then you exercise a little bit, even if it's up and down the stairs 10 times today, and then you find a way to take five minutes of your day, to, that's a great start to changing your chemical balance. Yep. And, it's, and so when people say the chemical imbalance, that's what they're talking about. It's those neurotransmitters that are in your brain that run back and forth. I mean, and, and I think I might have mentioned this last week, but for instance, like when you're really stressed out and you're like a chronic stress person, like, you know, you worry about worry. And if you didn't have any worry, you'd worry about why you didn't have any worry, that right. kind of person. Yeah. Anyone with stress has the same process. But when you have that and you have like ADD, which is a lot of people who do, you're producing so much stress hormone, cortisol. And when it dumps out of your pancreas and into your body and goes to your brain, it goes to your hippocampus. And your hippocampus is your memory maker and your memory producer. So that's part of your emotional yep. center. That is what gets tapped in ADD for ability to focus and concentrate. And so when you have those two things working together and you're not taking time to like settle, be present, and learning a skill that's not medicated skill, but it's a skill to sit with oneself and just be to take that moment to train your brain to do that, medication's doing it for you and it's faking it out. But it's not actually stopping the cortisol from dumping. It's not stopping what's happening to make right. that happen. The hippocampus is still running over time. And over time, that gets fatigued. You know, as we get older, it gets older. And if it's not aging with you at the same rate because it's aging faster because overworking, yep. we have things that, you know, we know things like dementia, Parkinson's, MS, like other physical problems come up. The problem, the basic, topic? the basic problem is chronic stress, right? And right. people will tell you there is always stress, and there is always stress, but you don't always have to react to it. Right. And being able to learn the skill of dumping out of that or setting it all down for a while, whether it's a half an hour to watch Baywatch or. <laughs> Oh my God, we couldn't make the whole show it without a watch. I'm telling you, Jeez. it works. Uh, but, uh, whether it's that or taking a walk or petting the dog or painting or whatever it is, get, learning that skill set in small increments gives you the skill set to do it more and more as you go. Right. And instead of, and, and so how do you make, how do I make it real time for people? It's like doing something like what you just said versus every time you go to the refrigerator and eat or put a piece of candy in your mouth instead of doing that yeah. because you're filling the str your stress eating your or your stress you know um, you go and take another clonopin you go now and take a, a suboxone you go now and take like an opiate you go now and take a drink you go now those are all ways that you're treating your norepinephrine or your dopamine you're you're treating the thing in your body that's saying i need i need i need with something that's going to get you stuck Yep. And so when you go and you say, well, I'll medicate it with something, I'll stop doing that, but I'll medicate it. It's like, yeah. it's just doing the same thing. And so it's not to say that you can't take the medication, but you have to be doing this other work with it. But exercise, it, it goes a, back to exercise. It has to be a combination for it. So you can be on medication all your life. That's yep. fine. But if you want to feel your optimum self and you want to feel better, you have to do that other work. Yeah. But we are an instant gratification, yep. no delayed gratification society. But it's funny, exercise fits into that category. What? Ex exercise is a great mood, mood regulator. And oh my God, yeah. You That's go on a saying. walk and you one. will get instant gratification. It'll change your, your mood and your, your chemical balance immediately. Yeah, but nobody thinks of it as instant gratification. That's work, remember. It takes too long. Like I have to exercise go for a walk? to go yeah. for a walk? Oh my God, Pete. You should sit in my office. Yeah, I'll tell you what. <laughs> what do you mean I have to go for a walk? Do it twice, and the fourth day you'll be aching to go out there. Right. It won't be work anymore because I have to do it. Exactly. Yeah. I did 12 miles yesterday. On Plum Island? Huh? <laughs> on Plum Island? You no. ran 12 miles? No, 12 miles. What's going, on with the, what's going on with the marathon, by the way? Oh, we're running it in October. Oh, in October. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. You didn't. Oh, yeah. Marathon. Boston Marathon is not next week, everybody. I was waiting. It has been moved to October 11th, 17th. And everybody be vaccinated. We'll all be good. I can't remember. So the field got lowered to 20,000 and then it opened for 70,000 virtual. So because this is the 125th running of, I will be running the 125th Boston Marathon, which will be my seventh in a row. You'll be running it there. You're one of the 20,000. I'm hoping that I'll be there. Yeah. I'm definitely running with, I'm running it. It's I'm a difference. We're all vaccinated. Go, but why I not? I don't know if I'll be one of the 20,000 on the course. I'm hoping to be. Why but not 40 or 50,000? Well, I'll be vaccinated. It's all good. 
Lou, Lou, Lou. Well, I'm glad that Lou got his. I'm glad that Lou got his Baywatch reference in today, (laughs) with his Pamela Anderson and his David Hasselhoff. Those aren't my favorites. Pamela, Pamela's era is not my favorites. Oh, oh, it's the other ones. (laughs) How many times can you just watch all these women and men run around in red bathing suits? Well, it gets. You can't go back because they play like the first five. They play like eight or ten episodes in cycle, and then you've seen them recently, and you can't go back. But. Yeah. Oh boy. And then they switch them up for a while. Hey, whatever, whatever. Makes Actually, you I've numb been out, doing Seinfeld. That's what makes you numb out. That's all that counts. If it makes you regulate your. Nerves. Put the bags down for a while. Just set it down for a while. Whatever it takes to do that. And just stop thinking about everything that's bugging you. Okay. That you can't oh, do anything. Well, I'll about. just go to my office now and tell everyone to just stop thinking about everything that stops you know to, that's bothering you. Just stop. For Big 15 steps. minutes. Do it for 15. Stop <sighs> for 15 minutes. And this is why I do my job. Okay. And you do your job. <laughs> and there's the banter, everybody. Yeah. You're Gotta doing the Lou. same thing. It's just a little more. You're doing it a little more eloquently than I am. Thank you. At least I'm eloquent about it. Thank yes. you very much. All right. All right. Well, everybody, I'm sure I'm going to get lots of questions and we will revisit this because that was a lot yeah. today. Um, but you guys have a fantastic week and thank you for joining us. And, and I'll see you next week.